0: of Sioux Falls Office of Adult Faith Formation. This is the Prairie Roam Companion with Dr. Chris Bergwald. Hello and welcome to Prairie Roam Companion. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and this is the 14th episode uh, of Prairie Roam Companion. Of course, if you listen online, uh, which presumably most of you are doing or you've downloaded it offline, uh, you'll know that there are all sorts of other things that I make available on the uh, via the podcast apart from these regular episodes. I like Theology Untap, like the Faith for Life episodes, which uh, we we just put up earlier in in March, uh, available via the podcast, uh, the Faith for Life uh, presentations, I should say. But w- in terms of numbering the regular episodes, we are now up to, up to number 14 in the Prayer Rome Companion episodes. And this actually is going to be the first episode for... The year 2007 in which I will not be interviewing somebody. I'm uh, just going to be offering some mo, some of my own commentary, uh, uh, on an issue we'll discuss in a moment. Uh, but, but for the first time for the year, we'll have just me and hopefully you find it still to be worthwhile. Uh, the next, um, episode, excuse me, the next episode of Prairie Rome Companion will be coming out uh, the week of March 26th, and we'll have another interview. Uh, hopefully, uh, I'm planning to have an interview with Father Martin Lawrence, who we've had on uh, already a couple times on on the regular episodes of Prayer Room Companion. And Father Lawrence uh, and I will be talking about uh, Lent. But as of course we're already. A- Past the halfway point of Lent, we'll be focusing in, on Holy Week in particular, and even more particularly on the Easter Triduum, or the Sacred Triduum. And if you have no idea what the Triduum is, don't worry. Tune in next week, and you will find out. Um, so, so that's what's coming up. And then I, I do expect to uh, be uh, planning out uh, more concretely to get back sort of the the weekly podcast. It's, it's been a, a hectic couple months. Of course, we have had a couple uh, two-part interviews that we've had for the regular episodes of of PRC, uh, but uh, in terms of the weekly um, podcast, uh, I've gotten away from that a little bit. But I do hope uh, with the Easter season to get back to the the weekly uh, episodes for Prairie Roam Companion. And now to today's topic for this episode. I, what I'm going to be doing today is start offering a bit of a rambling commentary in the best sense of the word uh, on some addresses that Pope Benedict gave last fall in October and November. Uh, Pope Benedict, as you may know, well, not really the Pope, let me step back for a moment. Uh, every bishop in the world is required by canon law to make uh, an official visit to Rome, uh, to the Holy Father and and the other officials who work for him at, in the Vatican, uh, every five years, uh, it's called an ad limina visit. Uh, ad limina referring to to the to the doorstep or uh, of the apostles or to the doorstep, um, is what it literally means. But it's to the doorstep of the apostles of Peter. Saints Peter and Paul. Uh, an ad limina visit is when the bishops of the world. Uh, Travel, and of course they take turns they don 't all do it at the same time. They travel to Rome and and they meet with the Holy Father to discuss what 's going on in their diocese and They usually go by uh, by country or if it 's a larger country uh, by by region within their country so for example in in the United States, there are something like fourteen or fifteen different uh, regions. And, and and so when it's time for the US bishops to make their ad limina visits to Rome the the bishops in the each of these regions will take turns making those trips uh in other words you, you take take our region region 8 or province 8 uh, the number for our provinces it we're the 8th province and we is Minnesota and North and South Dakota so Minnesota and the Dakotas are uh region 8 of it for the uh, bishops of the united states and all the bishops in regionate—that that is all the bishops in the dakotas and minnesota will travel to rome uh, for about a week-long visit they'll visit with various uh, officials in the Roman Curia, and then individually they'll visit with the Holy Father, and, and, and they have sent reports in advance which are read by the, the appropriate uh, officials in the Curia, and and at least in part by the Holy Father himself. They'll, then they'll, as I said, individually visit with uh, the Holy Father, and then he'll address all of them as as a group. So in the case of Region 8, there are approximately, I think, 10 bishops. I believe there are six dioceses in Minnesota and two in each of the Dakotas. So about 10 bishops <clears throat> excuse me, will make the trip to Rome and, and have those consultations with curial officials and with the Holy Father. And again, so you go region by region or country by country, and it's so supposed to be cyclical. Now, there are so many bishops— uh, in the world, uh, and, and the Holy Father only has so much time, in reality, it's not possible for the ad limina visits to be made every five years. Uh, in reality, um, it, it becomes every seven or even eight years that uh, the, a, 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 a region of bishops or a nation of bishops, depending on the case, will, will make their ad limina visit, ad limina consultations to Rome. Uh, In the case of the U.S., it was, I think, 2004 was was the last time that the U.S. bishops um, met for their consultation. In fact, I know it was 2004 because I was in Rome in December of 2004 for my doctoral dissertation defense at the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas, and while I was there, our bishop at the time, Bishop Robert Carlson, was in Rome for his unlimited visit, and it was actually at that time that he was um, asked by the Holy Father to uh, become the Bishop of Saginaw, Michigan. So he found out uh, that December 6th he was uh, that request was made of him. The next night, December 7th, uh, is when I uh, had my dissertation defense, uh, and of course I didn't know at the time that he had uh, just been asked to move from the Diocese of Saufault to the Diocese of Saginaw, uh, but he did, and, and he was at my defense, and he went out for dinner with my family and uh, some of our priests in Rome. And of course, it never came up, but uh, but somehow the topic of mission came up, and he was very interested. In any case, I bring that up because I know that the U.S. bishops made their limina visit in 2004, so it's going to be some several years between, or before, uh, they make that visit again uh, before our our new bishop Bishop Paul Swain makes his ad first ad limited visit to Rome. Now, of course, bishops always travel to Rome for for various other purposes, and, and oftentimes do meet with the Holy Father. Uh, but, but these regular ad limited visits, which uh, give sort of a comprehensive overview of the state of of the diocese, individual diocese, and then the state of the nation, those trips. Um, are made uh nominally every 5 years in reality at least at this point every 7 or 8 years so having given that background uh, last fall pope benedict uh met with uh, a number of bishops uh for their ad limina visits a- and some very interesting uh comments uh came out of those ad limina meetings that I want to to address a little bit here uh, in this podcast today, for a Prairie Rome companion, I, the Holy Father met in October uh, with the bishops of uh, the country of Ireland. Of course, Ireland being a, a great Catholic country um, in many ways, especially if you're Irish, I suppose. Uh, we just celebrated St. Patrick's Day a, a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. So on on Sunday, uh, October twenty eighth, uh, Pope Benedict met with. The bishops of Ireland on their ad limina visit uh, to Rome, or this at least that Sunday is when he gave the address to them, to the to the entire group of them. Now, in the case of Ireland, I'm not sure how many dioceses there are, but it, it, they only require one visit for the entire nation, uh, unlike the U.S., where it's uh, fourteen or fifteen different different regions that go or that that break up the country, and therefore fourteen or fifteen different groups of bishops. That will make the unlimited visit In the case of Ireland. They all go at the same time. And if you, I, I, what I'm going to do here is just mention all of the, the addresses before getting into their content so that, uh, you are able, if, if you'd like, and I would recommend it, uh, if you're able to pull them up online and read them, um, in, in detail and in their entirety at some point, uh, perhaps even pausing the podcast, uh, this episode to read them, uh, so you know what, what I'll be talking about. Uh, th- the first one to find these, you can go to the, the Vatican's website, www.vatican.va, uh, www.vatican.va, and then navigate, uh, through the Holy Father to his, I think, addresses, uh, the year 2006, October, and so on. Or you can just go to Google, use it, do a Google, Google search and enter address Benedict. Ireland, October 28, 2006. I already tried this, and it will get you—the first result will be this 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 uh, talk that he gave to the bishops of Ireland. Again, the search terms are Address, Benedict, Ireland, October 28, 2006. The other addresses are from—addresses uh, that he gave to two other groups, or well, Bishops from two other countries, uh, more than one address, though. the The bishops uh, from Switzerland, who make their limina visits as one group, had actually come to Rome in March, I believe, of two thousand and five, for their limina with John Paul the Great. However, that's you know, as John Paul the Great was le- n- nearing the end of his time on earth, and uh, his the. It was just before, a few weeks before he, he would die, uh, and they never had the opportunity to meet with him as a group uh, before his death. And so they came back to Rome as a group in November of 2006 and concluded their limited visit, in a sense, with... Uh, Pope Benedict. No, so this was not their formal ad limina visit that had happened already um for the most part at least in in early 2004 2005 rather. This is sort of the conclusion of that gathering with him. And I he, uh, Pope Benedict actually spoke to the group of bishops on three occasions. First of all in a mass homily, uh, a homily that he gave at a mass. Secondly at a meeting he had with them after that mass and then third at another meeting he had with them to to conclude their visit uh to Rome in a sense the formal conclusion of their limited visit which they began began in 2005 uh which he gave 2 days later November 9th 2006 it's always interesting uh just as a brief aside you know November 7th i believe was the uh our, our US elections um midterm elections uh last fall and, of course, in South Dakota here, it was a, a very uh, important time because we had the, the ban on abortions that was being uh, voted on in that election. Of course, uh, the ban uh, was defeated, as as many of the listeners may know. Uh, but at the same time, everything is going on here. Of course, life continues in the rest of the world and, of course, in the church as well. Uh, so it, it's always just interesting to to. to When when you come across these dates, when something so important is going on in one part of the world, in this case, uh, the U.S. midterm elections and and the abortion ban in particular in South Dakota, uh, and yet elsewhere in the world uh, life continues, Uh, just sort of to me, especially with regard to the Church, it's a very dramatic way to see the universality of our Catholic Church. So th- those are three addresses, two of them in particular that I want to focus on, the homily for Mass and then the concluding address on, on November 9th. Uh, again, you can navigate at the Vatican's website to these addresses. The homily will be under the homily section. The address will be under the addresses section. Uh, but the search terms, if you just want to do a Google search, for the homily, you would, you'll would you enter Holy Mass, Switzerland, homily, Benedict seven. Or November 7th, 2006. Holy Mass, Switzerland, Homily, Benedict, November 7th, 2006. And then for the address, uh, you'll have to enter Discourse, as in a, a papal discourse D I S C O U R S E. Discourse, Switzerland, Benedict, November 9th, 2006. Discourse, Switzerland, Benedict, November 9th, 2006. <clears throat> and then the other two. Texts that I'm going to refer to uh, are are from the limina visits made by the bishops of Germany, uh, the first group and the second group of German visits on, for their German bishops for their limina visit to Rome, and that was later in November, November 10th and November 18th. So for those, you're going to want to uh, for search terms with Google. Use address Benedict German November 10, 2006, and address Benedict German November 18. 2006. And they will get you to these addresses. So what do these addresses say that I've just spent uh, so much time setting up in terms of the limited visits and then how you can find them online and so on? Uh, what is so interesting, um, to me at least, about these addresses? Well, th- there seems to me, it, it, as I read these, um, these addresses uh, just in, in, compl- in total, or in full rather, uh, just recently, There are some common threads that ran through all of these addresses to bishops from Ireland, Switzerland, and Germany. Of course, what unites all of those, uh, there are many things, I guess, that unite all of those uh, nations. Of course, all European nations, two of them uh, German-speaking, Switzerland and Germany, obviously, also being on the continent, of course, Um, all three of them having substantial Catholic populations, of course, Uh, but also all of them belonging to a Western society, Western culture, which in many ways is uh, divorcing itself, removing itself from its Christian heritage, from its Christian foundation, and in particular from its Catholic uh, foundation. Um, the We've talked in the past about secularism and, and the power of secularism in in much of of Western culture today in our country, in the the United States, but also in Europe as well, Western Europe in particular. And and this is something that our Holy Father is very much attentive to, uh, the danger, the threat that secularism poses to... Uh, well, humanity, uh, in particular in particular, Western culture. Uh, obviously, it poses a threat to Christianity, uh, including Catholicism, but insofar as, or in that, uh, Catholicism, Christianity, is about what it means to be truly, completely, and perfectly human, uh, and insofar as secularism is a threat to Christianity, Catholicism in particular, then uh, secularism is a threat to what it means to be truly and authentically human. And of course, this is something which is of of, uh, great importance uh, in the mind of of Pope Benedict, as it has been for him personally for many, many years, if if you look at the the topics that he's written on over time. So in, in these... Addresses uh, what what I see as I read these is that Pope Benedict uh, really looks at how is Christianity understood or more correctly misunderstood, misperceived even by Christians um, and Catholics with regard to Catholicism as well. How is it perceived or misperceived in Western culture because of the influence of secularism, and then what is the response to the threat that secularism poses? And, and I, I really think uh, that as, as you immerse yourself in the thought of Pope Benedict, uh, I think many people who have not read him before will be surprised uh, by, by his solutions, by his thoughts on, on how, how can we address the problems facing the Church, uh, facing humanity in our day and age in light of, of the cultural context in which we all exist. So what I want to do here is just point out a couple of, or look at how he addresses a couple of those things. How is how is the church perceived or misperceived in this culture, and what is the response to that misperception? What is the response to the danger which uh, secularism uh, poses to the church today? I'm going to look at these uh, chronologically to some degree at least, and, and then sort of weave them back and forth. So the first address was with from or to the bishops from Ireland. And there's just one passage in here that that I, I was really struck by, in particular, several, but one that I, for, for the purposes of, of this podcast. Uh, the Holy Father says, So often the Church's countercultural witness is misunderstood as something backward and negative in today's society. That is why it is important to emphasize the good news that the life giving and life enhancing message of the gospel. Even though it is necessary to speak out strongly against the evils that threaten us, we must correct the idea that Catholicism is merely a collection of prohibitions. And he continues from there, or continues, goes on from there, uh, but I just want to move forward to one, another passage uh, where he's speaking about um, catechesis. Superficial presentations of Catholic teaching must be avoided because only the fullness of the faith can communicate the liberating power of the gospel. Because only the fullness of the faith can communicate the liberating power with the gospel. What I find so interesting here uh, is that Pope Benedict, to me, does... Not that I'm in any place to judge him, but he does a masterful job of emphasizing something which I I think is so important for our day and age. Christianity, the Catholic Church in particular, speaking of course as a Catholic, Catholicism is not just as he said, as he as he as he says, a collection of prohibitions. It's not just about do this or don't do that. It's it's about the life-giving and life-enhancing message of the gospel, as he says, the good news. Or as, as one of my scripture professors uh, in Rome said, the gospel, or the, the Greek word for gospel, is re- translated oftentimes as good news, but really an even better translation that communicates the, the uh, sense of what's being said is glad, tide- glad tidings. The gospel is glad tidings. The gospel is life-giving. It's life-enhancing, as the Holy Father says. And and I I think he's spot on. And what he says to the bishops of Ireland, I think, applies here as well as other places uh, throughout the world. So often the church's countercultural witness is misunderstood as something backward and negative in today's society. How often t- do we hear the church is so backward and so, you know, medieval or whatever? Uh, again, it's, that, that's because the church is being countercultural. It's going in many ways against the prevailing winds of our culture insofar as those, those winds, uh, those currents, run contrary to what it means to be human, what Jesus Christ revealed uh, as the Word made flesh. The Church in our day and age is, by and large, cult- countercultural in its witness, and that witness is misunderstood as backward and negative when, in fact, it is not. Uh, the Gospel is not backward and negative. The Gospel is life-giving and life-enhancing as he says, and, and the th- same theme uh, comes up uh, in, in other some of the other addresses that, that he gave that, that I've referred to. Uh, for instance, uh, speaking to the first group of the German bis- bishops on their visit, he speaks again about the perception of, of uh, Catholicism, Or Christianity in general, uh, of Christ in, in Germany in our day and age. He says the Federal Republic of Germany shares with the whole of the Western world a culture marked by secularization, in which God is increasingly disappearing from the public conscience, in which the uniqueness of the figure of Christ is fading, and the values formed by the tradition of the church are becoming less and less effective. Thus, even for the individual, faith is becoming increasingly difficult. Plans of life and ways of living are ever more often determined by personal choice. Many, many of the uh, people then, many have thus succumbed to discouragement and resignation, attitudes that stand in the way of witnessing to Christ's liberating and saving gospel. Basically, is not Christianity only one of the many alternatives that aim to give life meaning? This is the question many people are asking themselves. And then he continues later, I believe that the church in Germany should consider this situation to be a providential challenge and face it with courage. We Christians must not fear spiritual confrontation with a society whose ostentatious intellectual superiority conceals its perplexity before the final existential questions. Okay, some (laughs) big words there from, from the Holy Father, but I think the gist of what he's saying is that We as Catholics cannot be afraid to to boldly proclaim our faith. And and looking back to what he says to the the bishops from Ireland, that doesn't mean uh, talking first and foremost about do this, don't do that. It means about proclaiming how Jesus Christ is for my life uh, to each and every person. He's for your life. He's as individuals, but also as a culture, as a civilization, as a society. Uh, Jesus Christ is for each of us. He is for all of us. Uh, And the same is true of his body. That is the church. The gospel is about what it means to be truly human. It is despite, in a sense, its appearances, or at least its misperceptions to many people. The gospel is about what it means to be truly, perfectly happy as men and women, uh, not just in our day and age, but throughout all of time. Continuing then with what he says what the Holy Father says uh, to the bishops in Switzerland, uh, it, beginning with his homily uh, to the bishops at that mass on the no- seventh of November two thousand and six, he offers uh, a reflection on the the readings from that mass from that day it's Tuesday of the 31st week of of the liturgical year, and it was week two last year so the first reading. Was from Saint Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter two, verses five through eleven. The Psalm response was from Psalm twenty-two or twenty-one, depending on the numbering. And then the Gospel reading was from Luke fourteen, uh, chapters fifteen and twenty-four. And, and And the Holy Father summarizes the theme of of all of these readings in the phrase "God never fails," and he begins his homily by by explaining what he means by this theme that God never fails. He says, or more precisely, initially, God always fails. He lets human freedom exist, and this freedom constantly says no. But God's imagination, the creative power of his love, is greater than the human no. With every human no, a new dimension of his love is bestowed, and he finds a new and greater way to bring about his yes to man, history, and creation. And then looking to the letter to the Philippians, speaks, he speaks of how it's a, uh, an allusion to the story of Adam and original sin. And he says, God failed in Adam, and likewise to all appearances throughout history. So God has failed throughout history. But God did not fail, for now he becomes a man himself, and so begins a new humanity. He roots God's being in a human being, in an irrevocable way, and descended to the deepest abysses of man's being he humbled himself even unto the cross so what he's saying here as we see in these readings uh, reflecting as they do uh, in a way on the whole of salvation history is that it seems as if god always fails not just sometimes but all the times all the time but in fact in those failures god finds another way uh, a way to work despite human failings human choices uh, for sin and for evil and so on. And and he, he turns then to the gospel reading, as I said, from Luke chapter 14, where Jesus gives the parable of, of uh, 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 somebody who is offering a great feast. It's God, of course, but in this parable, <clears throat> excuse me, in this parable, uh, 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 a rich man is preparing a feast for his invited guests. Uh, the invited guests refuse to come uh, for various reasons, so uh, in a rage, the the uh, the the owner of the house or the the one ha- holding the feast sends forth his message, his invitation to to everyone out in the highways and the byways and so on. And, and, and again, Pope Benedict sees here this message uh, uh, regarding the failure of God. And he says he, he elaborates or comments on this on this particular reading. Those who were invited first declined; they did not come. God's hall remains empty. The banquet seemed to have been prepared in vain. This is what Jesus experienced in the last stages of his activity. His message, his call, ends in the human no. However, God did not fail here either. The empty hall becomes an opportunity to invite a larger number of people. And then he goes on with commenting on the reading. Uh, the, the, one, the, the messenger departs from the city to go to the country roads. The homeless are invited. The first to enter the hall are Israel's poor, and later the invitation extends beyond the holy city to the world of the peoples. So we see here, uh, in this reading, f- uh, from, or this comment by, by, commentary by Pope Benedict, that in this parable, Jesus is saying that our Heavenly Father, even when His first invited guests say no, He goes beyond them, beyond the nation of Israel, to, well, first to the poor of the nation of Israel, and then beyond them to, to all the peoples of the world. And, and the Holy Father goes on to, comment that this is also the case uh, in the very early history of the Church, looking, for instance, in the Acts of the Apostles, where St. Luke, the author of, of the book of Acts, speaks about how Paul uh, would always begin his his mission trips, his evangelization efforts. Noting uh, The Holy Father notes, Paul always begins his mission in the synagogue with those who are invited first. So he goes first to the Jews. <clears throat> and only when the authoritative figures excuse themselves and he remains alone with a small group of poor people, does he go to the Gentiles? And and, and he notes that even this was the case in Rome. Uh, Paul goes to the heads of the synagogue, tells them of Christ, but the authorities excuse themselves, excuse themselves and, and Paul responds, Well, since you will not listen, this message will be proclaimed to the Gentiles, and they will listen to it. With such confidence, St. Paul concludes the message of failure. They will listen. The church of the Gentiles will be built. And then Pope Benedict turns this to our own day and age. What does this mean for us? So what is this reflection? What do these readings themselves and his own reflections upon them mean for us today? He, He says first, first of all, it means one certainty. God does not fail. He does not fail because he finds ever new ways to reach people and to open wider his great house, so that it is completely filled. God does not fail, not even today. Even if we come up against many no's, we can be sure of it. From the whole of this history of God, starting with Adam, we can conclude God never fails. God never fails. (laughs) The Holy Father repeats this, obviously, just the passages that I've read, selective passages from this address, from this discourse, stressing the fact that God never fails. He is able to work in his, history for the salvation of, of, of men and women despite the failures, the no's, of the same men and women. And then he turns to Western culture, and thinking especially of the Gospel reading and how the first invited guests said no. He says, precisely in our time, we know very well how those who were, who were, who were invited first say no. Indeed, Western Christianity, the new first guests, now largely excuse themselves. They do not have time to come to the Lord. To the Lord, We know the churches that are ever more empty, seminaries continue to be empty, religious houses that are increasingly empty. We are familiar with all the forms in which this no-I-have-other-important-things-to-do is presented. And it distresses and upsets us to be witnesses of these excuses and refusals of the first guests. Who, in reality, should know the importance of the invitation and should feel drawn in that direction? So, we have the situation where, you know, Christianity has been part of Western society for, for thousands, for hundreds and thousands of years. And now, uh, Western Christians are, are saying no. They're excusing themselves. And then he, the Holy Father poses this question, what shall we do? So how do we respond to this? And he says, by way of response, first we must ask ourselves, why is this happening? And he notes that in the parable, uh, uh, from the gospel, Jesus mentions two reasons why people say no. Possessions and human relations. So, new land uh, that, that somebody's purchased. You know, I just I bought some new land and have to go tent it. Or I've just been married. Uh, I, I, I can't respond to the invitation. I've just been married. Uh Various for various reasons, possessions and human relations, people no longer feel the need for anything else to fill their time and therefore the, their interior existence is what he says. And he continues by referring to Saint Gregory the Great. Excuse me, Saint Gregory the Great, who wondered how can a man say no to the greatest thing that exists, that he has no time for what is most important, that he can lock himself into his own existence. How is it possible, in other words, for, for people to turn away from that for which they are created, that is, God? And the Holy Father says, he, St. Gregory, answers, In reality, those who do so, they, had never, they never had an experience of God. They have never acquired a taste for God. They have never experienced how delightful it is to be touched by God. They lack this contact, and with it, the taste for God. And only if we, so to speak, taste him, only then can we come to the banquet. So for whatever reason, and he'll go on to explain why, Western Christians have not had that encounter with Jesus Christ, or it has; they haven't returned to that encounter. In a fundamental way, of course, we have that encounter when we're baptized. But because many Western Christians are baptized when they're infants, in too many cases, apparently, uh, they never return to that encounter. They never renew that encounter with Christ. They don't remain in in front of that encounter with Christ uh, as as they grow and mature throughout their lives, and so they don't acquire that taste for God. Uh, and he he goes on to explain because of so many other distractions, all our other senses are are overused, uh, in a sense. The sense for God suffers. Uh, the, 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 org, the spiritual organ, which is sensitive to God, withers away, dies in a sense, uh, and, and no longer perceives God's loving gaze, no longer recognizes that God is looking at, at the individual, that his precious gaze touches the, 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 the individual, uh, man or woman. And again, the Holy Father asks in light of this, what should we do? What can we do? What are we to do? And I think, just by way of drawing to a close, uh, the other uh, texts that I mentioned, I would recommend that you read them as well. Uh, but, But the key and the thing that struck me in particular as I read these is, Basically, the question is, how how are we as, as intentional disciples of Jesus Christ, those who, who desire to remain in front of the encounter with Christ, those who desire to be in contact with him on a continual basis, not just weekly or daily, but continuously, how are we to respond to a culture, a society, in which its Christian heritage is being ignored, uh, in which the invitation is being refused? What, what is the response? Uh, Pope Benedict says, I hold that the first thing to do is what the Lord tells us today in the first reading, and which St. Paul cries to us in God's name. Your attitude must be Christ's. And, and he goes on, Learn to think as Christ thought. Learn to think with him. And this thinking is not only the thinking of the mind, but also a thinking of the heart. We learn Jesus Christ's sentiments when we think, when we learn to think with him, and thus when we learn to think also of his failure, of his passage through failure, and of the growth of his love in failure. If we enter into these sentiments of his, if we begin to practice thinking like him and with him, then joy for God is awakened within us, confident that he is the strongest. Yes, we can say that love for him is reawakened within us, we can feel how beautiful it is that he is there and that we can know him, that we know him in the face of Jesus Christ who suffered for us. I think this is the first thing, that we ourselves enter into vital contact with God, with the Lord Jesus, the living God, that in us the organ directed to God be strengthened, that we bear within us a perception of his exquisiteness. I therefore believe that we must make an effort above all to listen to the Lord in prayer, in deep interior participation in the sacraments, in learning the sentiments of God in the faces and the suffering of others, in order to be be infected by his joy, his zeal, and his love, and to look at the world with him and starting from him. Once again, in other words, it is a matter of the centrality of God, and not just any God, but the God with the face of Jesus Christ. Today, this is crucial. There are so many problems one could list that must be solved, but none of them can be solved unless God is put at the center. If God does not become uh, once again visible to the world, if he does not become the determining factor in our lives and also enters the world in a decisive way through us. So in essence, uh, rather than, than giving some Practical, concrete suggestions, which I think we as Americans so often desire. Okay, what do you want me to do? Uh, In response to this question, what are we to do in in this day and age when the the invitation is being refused? He says basically, put on Jesus Christ. Seek through prayer, through intense participation in, in the sacraments, to know Jesus Christ more and more deeply. And in so doing, to take on his thoughts, his sentiments, to become in a sense, to become Christ, to take on his way of being. And when we do that, we will see what it is that we are to do next. Obviously, Jesus knows what we are to do next. So as we, we, as, our, as, we, as we strengthen a union with him, his thoughts become our thoughts, his sentiments become our sentiments, and, and we will know how we are to respond to the problems of our, of our day and age insofar as we are able. I mean, obviously, each of us, according to our state in life, uh, is able in various ways uh, to respond to the problems of ours. Some have greater responsibility, some have less responsibility, but we're all called to evangelize. Uh, our culture, and so we we must all seek to put on Christ, to know and love Christ more and more deeply, so that His thoughts might become our thoughts, His sentiments become our sentiments, so we can know how it is that we are to respond to to the problem of secularization, the problem of the refusal to accept the invitation. Again, there are many other things that that I, I think. Uh, well, that the Holy Father did say, uh, along these lines in these other addresses and discourses, and even in the ones that I alluded directly to, uh, there are passages that are, are beautiful. And I would again encourage you, uh, especially as we begin, you know, we're, we're, we're coming to the end of Lent, but it's never too late to, uh, do some continual spiritual reading. And really, some of these uh, texts are really, I think, fruitful for, for reflection as we prepare to celebrate Holy Week and, and the sacred Tridom, which again we'll be talking about next week with Father Martin Lawrence. Uh, as always, if you have any questions about anything I've talked about in this or any other episode of Prairie Room Companion, please do not hesitate to contact me. Uh, I've given my email address before, but again, it's cbergwald, c-b-u-r-g-w-a-l-d, at sfcatholic.org, cbergwald at sfcatholic.org. So feel free to send me an email or give me a call at 605-988-3763. 605-988-3763 If you have any questions or comments uh, about the the uh, topic or the content of this episode of Prayer Room Companion, or any other, uh, and I think we'll we'll leave things at that for this episode. Uh, please tune in uh, next time as we interview Father Martin Lawrence. Uh, and in the meantime, may God bless you.